Savage CBD strives to help people by offering top quality, lab-tested, natural CBD at affordable pricing. And it really is affordable. Whether you're new to CBD or have been using it for years, you can always count on all-natural, hemp-derived CBD with the purest ingredients. Savage CBD carefully tests each batch to ensure quality, consistency, taste, and authenticity. They pride themselves on their transparency and believe that you should know exactly what goes into your favorite CBD products. With Savage CBD, you can choose from a range of premium CBD lotions, creams, tinctures, gummies, and so much more. When you look at their website, there are thousands of happy customers who've reported incredible results after using CBD to supplement their daily routine. Overall, Savage CBD's goal is to create the products that empower you to maintain your balanced lifestyle. Whether you need some extra shut-eye at night or you need to find some more calm throughout your day, you can count on Savage CBD to help you reach that goal. And guys, just for listening to this podcast, you can save 20% on your first purchase of CBD when you use our code BRAD20. So go ahead, my friends, start your CBD journey with Savage, and they'll be there to support you with every step of the way. Simply visit SavageCBD.com to redeem 20% off your first purchase of CBD by using code BRAD20 and see why thousands of people are using CBD. Now, Kelly, I've been a CBD user for a little while. I use it when I'm out on the disc golf course. It helps me relax. It's great with muscle aches and pains, and it's really kind of replaced ibuprofen for me. So uh, anybody that's listening to this, guys, check out Savage CBD. We thank them for being a supporter of the Noel Family Foundation, the Bradley's House podcast, and we hope you'll support them as well. Yo, what's happening? This is Miles from Slightly Stupid, and you're listening to Bradley's House podcast. Hey guys, welcome. Come on in, make yourself at home, as you should when you're a guest in Bradley's house. I am your co-host, Jared Orr. She is the executive director of the Noel Family Foundation, and the one with the mic control around here, our host, Ms. Kelly Noel. Kelly, how you doing tonight? I'm good. Thanks, Jared. I feel much more powerful now that you said I have the mic control. Well, I mean, if somebody's going to have the mic control around here, it's going to be you. So well, technically, it's Anna, but okay, that, I'll take it. I'll that is a proxy. <laughs> that is that is true. Actually, she she does hold that control, but she does. Um, I'm just the mouthpiece. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I like the way that it works out, though. Things things yeah. shake out well when we do it this way. Very um, good. Kelly, always excited whenever we get a chance to get a new episode of Bradley's House recorded. And, you know, a lot of times we have these amazing musicians that come on and you guys get to talk about your California upbringing and the West Coast vibes, the music. And every once in a while, I feel like it's a little bit of a win for me when we get somebody from the grand stage and they're from over here on the East Coast. Kelly, who's our house guest today? Today we have someone that I'm super excited to talk to, an artist from the house that Bradley built from Rockville, Maryland. We have drummer for OAR, Chris Kulos. Chris, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you guys for having me. What's up? How are you? Really good. It's such a treat for us to have you. We've been really looking forward to this. 
Um, I have to tell you, I was looking through pictures, doing a little research and stuff, and I mean this in the absolute best way. You guys really look like a hipster boy band. (laughs) (laughs) They're all like super good looking, nice, fresh, wholesome. You guys really are like the picture perfect recording artists. Wow. Thank you. That is so nice of you to say. Thank you. You're welcome. Those are actually just, uh, those are stock photos from the record company. It's, those aren't the guys that are actually producing that music. It's, but that's okay. It's like stunt doubles. We have models that right. fit in or something like that. And yeah. Yeah. Clearly yeah. They were an excellent choice. Yeah. The guy that they had playing the bass, I totally saw him rocking a cardigan in a Macy's catalog like a week ago. So it's, it's making, they're making the rounds. So, First and foremost, I have to ask you, the band name, OAR, stands for Of A Revolution. Where did you guys come up with that? Our singer came up with the name. We we have a long history. We started uh, when we were you know kids in the neighborhood, and we were practicing in my mom's basement, wow. and our singer came down the, the stairs, you know, came down to the basement, and, uh, you know, for a band practice, and said, I think the name of the band should be Of A Revolution. We didn't even know what it meant, and we were immediately like, yep, sold, fun, that's <laughs> wow. awesome, blah, 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 blah. Not really um, a tough sell, huh? No, not a tough sell. It just sounded cool. The way he said it, the way the moment happened, I still, it's one of those things that like, I can picture it. feels like it happened yesterday. Um, wow. So, and to give you some context, at the time, we were, I think, 16 years old. And our singer had a very cool short story that he had written and decided to take the characters and lyrics or the characters and themes from that to write lyrics for our songs. And his position, which he later said, which I think is incredible to have this when he was 16 years old to have this, you know, thought process. But he just basically felt like. I'm only 16 years old. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Right. So I'm not going to say something through my eyes. I'm going to tell it through a character's eyes. Maybe that will oh. kind of resonate a little bit more. And it kind of gave our songs, I think, um, at the time, a, a unique voice. The storytelling, the way that he approached songwriting through different characters' eyes was was really cool. And so the that's a long way of saying that there was a short story and that this sentence – of a revolution was taken from the short story. So all of our songs were about that at the time, and this kind of tied it all in together. And it felt like, um, I I would say that it, it, the revolution part wasn't anything political. It was the fact that we were excited that we were making the kind of music we wanted to make. um, And that felt like a musical revolution. So that's kind of where it all tied together. And then, you know, fast forward a few years later of a revolution was a little bit of a mouthful. And I think people kind of had a hard time saying that long thing. Although I fight that to this day, I still think it's (laughs) the worst band name ever, but we ultimately agreed to shorten it to OAR. And that's how we got to the name. Nice. I like that. Very creative. Now, the big song that you guys initially gained popularity with was that was a crazy game of poker. Was that from the story also? It was. Yes. Ah. So before we had even called ourselves of a revolution, our singer, Mark, and I had done a um, 
study abroad program our junior year of high school where we went to Israel for a couple months. Oh, and while wow. we were over there, it was such an incredible experience. I mean, we thought we were kind of going over there to have a little fun and hang out and travel a little bit. It ended up being a, a pretty intense, um, you know, school kind of thing where you you were in the classroom for two days and then you went to, you know, on a field trip to go see whatever it was that you were learning oh. about. And they started from biblical times all the way up to like modern day politics and state of Israel. And, you know, we happen to be Jewish, but there was, you know, all religions, kids from all over the country. Uh, it was a really, I mean, for being 16 years old, our first time out of the country. Oh, um, wow. Being a new culture, a whole new thing. It was really eye-opening, and, and it stuck with us, and a lot of that stuff happened. I think Mark would just kind of sit there in our dorm and write some lyrics, or we'd be out climbing Masada, you know, Mount Masada, or whatever it was, yes. you know, floating in the Dead Sea, and just <laughs> doing all these, you know, cool things. And so the song is not about that, but that's where it was written, and we came back when we got home that summer and started putting the band together. Mark had the lyrics to the first half of the song. And if you're familiar with the song, it kind of starts off with like a uh, kind of a country or rock yeah. kind of intro for the first two or three minutes. And then it segues and into it kind of a reggae right. section for the remaining part of the song that he completely freestyled the lyrics in the studio. Oh, wow. That's very impressive. Yeah. It was very impressive. It was cool for me to watch. Yeah. So you spent two months in Israel. I can't remember exactly how, how long it was. Yeah, two or three months, I want to say. It was, it was our, like, like spring semester of our junior year in, in high school. It was really cool. Brad and I went to Israel with our mom when I was 12 and he was 15. And we, we went like with our church. And I, I can't remember exactly how long we were there. I want to say probably like 10 days or something. But it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. And we did the things you said, like we, you know, went up to the top of Masada, we floated in the Dead Sea, all those things. And it's just, it's one of those places where I would love to go back because I just feel like there's so much more, you know, Absolutely. but there's, there's a, a picture that I'm not sure who got a hold of it, whether, I don't know, maybe I posted it years ago, or maybe it was in a, a book that we had published after Brad died. But there's a picture from that trip of Brad, um, we were at the Jordan border and they had armed guards with, uh, machine guns and they were, in fact, they were all over the place at the time. It was a very, I mean, they're always pretty unstable there, but, um, it was just a, a, you know, crazy time. And so everywhere we went in Israel, pretty much there were, there were soldiers with these machine guns and Brad was fascinated by it. So he went up to one of the soldiers at the border and asked if he could take a picture with him. And the guy handed him his gun. So yeah. there's a, a picture of Brad standing next to the soldier holding his machine gun. It's pretty, pretty awesome. But he, I mean, the look on his face, he's just, you know, 15 year old Brad is just like totally stoked in the moment. That gets it was really fun. That. Wow. Yeah, it was a great trip. So you guys were all friends, started the band, and then you went to college, right? So that all happened before college? Yeah, exactly. So we started, you know, our first show, we say, was the eighth grade talent show. And uh, we covered a uh, Pearl Jam song and a awesome. uh, Eric Clapton song. And wow. And we kind of, well, the singer, Mark, and I, we kind of uh, played together for the next few years in a couple other bands. But we were missing our guitar player, Richard, who, you know, who was with us in the eighth grade talent show. So mm. I would say probably by uh, our senior year, we started looking to, to re-recruit him. And I met our bass player um, 
working as a lifeguard over the summer and that ended up coming, you know, together. And when the four of us, you know, played together, it instantly clicked and we formed the band and we started playing it just kind of uh, a local spot in, you know, in our, in our hood. And I felt like something was happening. I mean, it, it wasn't, you know, anything major. We weren't getting any, you know, attention from anybody outside, but it was just our fans, like our friends started off as our fans right. and they came to the shows and the, and the word started to spread, you know, throughout our town. And um, it just felt like we owed it to ourselves to give it a shot. And so as we were getting ready to graduate from high school, we chose Ohio state um, because it was such a big school and such a great place to get the band off the ground and give it a real shot. Uh, mm. It took some doing to get the four of us there, but we eventually got there within a year or so. And we also met our fifth uh, member, uh, Jerry, our saxophone player, when when we, we first got there. Actually, our singer met him at orientation weekend as soon as he got oh, out wow. to Columbus. Um, and so we became immediately, you know, good friends. He was playing guitar in another band that we were really close with. And he started sitting in with us. He, he said, hey, I play saxophone. Can I join you guys for a song or something? And it became, you know, a regular thing where one song turned into a couple, turned into a thing where he just was, you know, such a, you know, integral part of the, the band and the sound that we asked him to be a member. So, yeah, so that's kind of the early phase there. And then through college, we would play. Uh, we, we got pretty organized by having our singer's older brother he became our manager. And so he helped schedule a lot of things. He helped put together the business side and a lot of that, you know, I could talk for days on that kind of stuff, but it kind of mm. started at a time where uh, Napster just started taking off. And so, you know, we weren't on a major label and we, we weren't on the radio or anywhere like that, but because of Napster, our music started spreading. I think the, you know, the music resonated with college kids and all these college kids across the country were started, you know, downloading songs on Napster. And so we were able to create a fan base around the country without us having to physically go and tour there. And by the time we started touring, we found that we already had a kind of fan base that already knew the songs and knew, you know, knew the words and were, were buying tickets. And, and it gave us an incredible platform to give it a real shot. Once, you know, we, we finished at Ohio state and we started touring full time. We had built this really incredible, fan base just through, you know, grassroots and, and that kind of stuff. So that's fantastic. That's, that's the positive side of, you know, all the music sharing and stuff. I mean, it really opened it up and made it so much more accessible for people. And uh, it's cool that you guys were able to harness that and, and use that in a positive way. So you got your, you majored in political science, right? I did. What, uh, where did you Google that? <laughs> I just, you know, I just started Googling all kinds of stuff. And I think that was on a, Something that someone from OSU had posted, actually. I did. Thank you. So I think, you know, when we were just starting, I, one of the things was that our parents were super supportive and they said, we've got your back 100%. But please, if you're going to go to college, you know, get a degree or something that you can mm. try to fall back on because just don't know. We totally support you, but we just don't know. And so rather than, you know, wasting our time while we were there, I think we all, you know, took it, you know, pretty seriously. And, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to uh, go to law school. I wasn't super into politics per se, but that's where I was kind of focusing at the time. And um, who knows? No, you always have that to fall back on. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't even say it without laughing. 
I don't see that happening, but it's nice to have, I'm sure. My oldest son just graduated with a degree in political science last year. So that's awesome. That's, yeah, if, if nothing else, I'm do? sure. You know, he really doesn't. He's He's got several things he's thinking about. But um, I encouraged him to do, it was a history slash political thought degree, and he's always been uh, passionate about that stuff. And because he didn't know what he wanted to do going to college, I said, just study what you enjoy, so at least you won't hate the time that you spend there. So he did. He loved it. He's got a real passion for it. But um, I also read that you guys sold out Madison Square Garden twice. Is that true? Yeah. It's That's uh, remarkable. It's so crazy to even say that out loud. I mean, and we've had some really awesome shows, uh, you know, throughout the years. And I just, I would say, I don't ever get nervous per se. I just, we love being on stage and it's just so much fun. You know, like we're, we're, we were friends before we were even in band. So to be on the stage with our buddies is like the greatest thing in the entire world. Now, having said that MSG, there was just this built in, like, Oh my God, I, I can't even believe that it has happened or was you know, going to happen. Like I just, I do not remember being on stage. It, it was one of those, it was so Surreal. kind of nerve wracking, uh, yeah. but it was also, you know, it was, we had, we, all of our friends and family came up for the show and it was really neat because we could look out and see everybody in the crowd. So I do remember that, but it did, it flew by. What a journey to go from, you know, playing at college campuses to selling at Madison square garden. That's incredible. Thank you. But like I said, you know, we, we've, um, have this incredibly loyal fan base, um, you know, we might not be a household name, but what we try to do is give everyone, you know, an experience um, that's unique to that night that makes them want to come back and see us over mm. and over again. And so that, you know, you know, can lead to all kinds of things, whether it's changing up our set list every night or playing songs different ways than you may have heard them. It's a way for us to kind of keep ourselves on our toes. And, and, right. Uh, you know, can we right. can we just call it what it is? I mean, realistically, you you guys have like a cult following. Absolutely. You are one of those. You are one of those bands like the Grateful Dead and Fish, and I mean, you have this fan base of people that are so loyal and go to show to show and post about them. And I mean, it, it, it's pretty amazing what you guys have been able to build up. Thank you. Well, I mean, obviously, those bands that you just mentioned are absolute legends. Um, and we've done a lot to, to, to try to see what we can do to emulate, you know, whatever their, you know, stratosphere level of success has been. But for us, we, we grew up going, to, you know, we saw the, you know, Grateful Dead shows. We saw, uh, you know, Dave Matthews band a million times before we ever got to meet Dave Matthews and open up for him. Like we, 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 we took out like, well, what, what are these guys you know, this empire that they've all created, they're all slightly different from each other, but they've been a, a way to kind of build their thing on their own terms and, um, and, and with such a loyal following. And I, I think for us early on, and it's not necessarily as popular these days, but tape trading was a very big, um, yeah. you know, thing online where, you know, you'd go and, and tape a show and trade it around for, for, for either other shows or other bands and different shows right. like that. And so that was a kind of a cool way to create, I guess, um, a community. And lots of touring, right? I mean, you guys have done a lot of touring over the years. A lot. 
a lot of touring. Yeah. When we uh, graduated Ohio state in 2001, we hit the road and we were playing, you know, 200 some shows a year and then never really, you know, stopped. We just kind of became known as a, as a touring band. Um, How, how was that being on the road so much? Well, before we were married and and had kids, it was, um, it was, it was, it was an incredible time. I mean, it's so funny to to think back, like exactly how long ago that was at the moment Mm -hmm. right now, because in a lot of ways it feels like yesterday and it feels like we've never really had, I guess, like an overnight smash or something like that, you know, where a song came out and all of a sudden we were famous. It didn't right. anything like happen like that. Like even Madison Square Garden. I mean, it took us probably, you know, 10 or 15 years before we even stepped on stage at Madison Square Garden. Mm. So it's been a, a, uh, a steady kind of growth. And, and I think it's just been really fun because just doing it that way uh, kind of gave us a, like, I don't know, a chance to learn so much about the entire music industry and we're all pretty hands-on with it. And we have an incredible team, you know, our management and, and everyone around us are, are, you know, our, our agents and, and everybody like that. It, it's, it's an incredible team, but um, you know, like I said, just being able to do it, you know, kind of with an indie, um, you know, mindset, Right. It's just been a really fun way for us to feel, you know, completely involved. And, you know, really at the end of the day, when, when we're putting out ideas and when we're kind of driving the bus, you know, I think it gives um, a little bit more momentum to the whole team stepping up and getting involved as right. opposed to some of the other bands we may have met where, um, you know, they're, you know, kind of creatively held under the gun a little bit more and, and don't necessarily have that, you know, opportunity. Yeah. You guys have definitely worked for it. I mean, that seems to be the, the common theme of, you know, everything that I read and everybody that I've talked to is just that you guys have absolutely earned the following that you have. And I think that's, that's very commendable. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Tell me about the herd, the world fund. Yes. So we, uh, started the Herd the World Fund uh, as a way to um, kind of focus what our kind of charitable activities were on um, youth and education were something that was like important to us where we were starting to be able to raise some money for charity and get involved in charity projects. And we were getting, you know, calls to to play at certain events and and, and focus on things all across the board. And it ended up being something where we were like, Hey, if we can focus on a specific direction, maybe we can do um, a little bit more good by focusing on something. And so we, we chose youth and education. And also we like to include in there anything to support the military as mm-hmm. well. And so that just had been our focus, not to say we're not involved in other, you know, charitable activities, but that has been the focus. And um, for, Gosh, I'm not even sure how, how many years, at least a decade, if not 15 or so years, we've had a portion of almost every ticket that goes to the Herd the World Fund. That's fantastic. And I believe I saw that you guys have raised over a million dollars to date. That's really impressive. Yes, thank you. Yeah, as, as somebody who's been working for four years trying to raise money for Bradley's house, I know how much effort that takes. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's really cool that you guys have had such a huge impact. Um, something else I wanted to ask you about was the song Light Switch Sky, which was written 
as sort of a, a collaboration with fans, correct? Yeah, it's. I, thank you for bringing that up. It's been a minute since I thought about that, and it was a really cool um, uh, project. So our our singer Mark came up with the idea of collaborating with fans through Twitter um, by having people submit lyrics, and then he would put them together, and we would write a song based on lyrics that fans submitted. And we documented the whole process. And I don't remember what charity it went to, um, but, you know, probably something through our Heard the World Fund. And it was it was a really cool kind of side project to do in between albums and and put something out and involve fans at a time when social media was, you know, kind of leaving the world of like MySpace and going a little bit more um, mobile in a lot of ways, you know, mm-hmm. kind of little bite-sized pieces. And it just kind of felt like, well, if you're only limited to a certain amount of of you know, letters or whatever it is per tweet, you know, you can fire off some pretty interesting lyrics, one <laughs> sentence or two here. Can that be done? You know? And I, I think it was, it was a really cool, um, you know, project to, to come together. Absolutely. And, and such a great song too. I mean, it really is cohesive and powerful and, uh, and by the way, the, the money went to the paralyzed veterans of America. <laughs> I think it's great that you guys have helped so many organizations. You don't even remember which one. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing. But yeah, just so many great causes. And then, of course, you know, you guys contributed Bad Fish to the house that Bradley built. And we're so appreciative of that. That was you guys really did a phenomenal job on that cover. Oh, my gosh. I mean, we were so honored to be even included in that. And I think what I remember the most, well, there's a couple of things that I remember about that, but, um, my friend Yasad, the drummer from Pepper yes, reached out to me and kind of pitched the idea. And I took it to the rest of the band and everyone immediately was, you know, it wasn't like, should we do this? Well, how would we do this? What is this? It was like, what song are we going to do? You know, like immediately <laughs> everyone was, you know, on board and, um, I can't remember. I want to say, I think, oh, I remember our, our, our manager, Andrew is a huge sublime fan. Like, you know, he knows every song on you know the entire discography. He knows every, every, basically. So he's deeply familiar with the whole category. And so he started sending over ideas, you know, if, whether it was, you know, jailhouse maybe we can do santa ria maybe pawn shot maybe the wrong way you know all of these <laughs> songs and he was like this is it like him like awesome whatever and our singer wrote back immediately bad fish is the one for us boys wow. and we were just like yes let's see if we can do this so it was really fun to have everyone involved and the other thing the last thing i'm sorry i keep rambling here but that i remember right, was that's supposed the point. to be pitched to us as like <laughs> Can you guys do an acoustic version? Right, right. Which we, I don't want to say, I'd like to say it was like, was it unclear if that just meant like really an acoustic with like a singer and a guitar player? Or does it mean like a, an acoustic full band version? Either way, we were like, we're doing this full band, whether they ask <laughs> for it or not. <laughs> yeah, I think so. the original plan was to do, was to have the album be all acoustic, but then it just kind of grew and took on a life of its own. And so then it just kind of became, you know, however people wanted to interpret the songs. And um, 
I, I couldn't be happier with, with the way that it came out. It's such a great collection. But when you guys did uh, agree to do it, I got a message from Paul Milbury, the general manager of Law Records, and he was so excited. I just remember him. He's like, oh, my gosh, we got OAR. So that was a, that was a big moment. That's super so cool. fun. Yeah. Yasad knows everybody, by the way. I can't tell you how many people I talk to and they're all and my friend Yasad, I'm just like, yep. that guy knows everyone. He, he knows really everyone. does. Every yeah. guest. He does. It's it's amazing. Now, talk to me a little bit, and, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, but I, I've been pretty familiar with you guys throughout the beginning. Um you guys kind of were had like a real strong like kind of reggae type vibe and you guys kind of went like a jam band route from there would that be like fair or correct to say i think so i mean it's it's i think uh, so too i just didn't want to insult you (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah that's answers that i mean when we started we we were you know 16 years old and we were kind of trying to just take what we loved from our favorite artists in a lot of ways. Um, whether it was listening to uh, our favorite Bob Marley album was um, Babylon by bus, which is a kind mm-hmm. of a live album. And it just had this sound to it. It wasn't just the style of the music. It was the way it was recorded. The sound of the live instruments that had this like pulse. And that was a thing that really spoke to us. And we also, were I would say our first influence ever was Genesis. We would watch um, this VHS tape from um, the 1985 Genesis tour. I think it was called the Mama Tour. Oh, so still Peter Gabriel then? Uh, probably. I mean, yeah, I oh, 85. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, Phil, Phil Collins was still on the kit. Phil Collins was yes, but he would do both because I remember there was also Chester Thompson who was the drummer. So that so Phil would go back and do a drum solo with Chester. So maybe no Gabriel. I don't remember Gabriel. I mean, I know he was in it, but I don't remember him being on this live concert that we used to watch. Either way, that sound, I mean, still, Peter Gabriel would be in that conversation of somebody who influenced us super early on. But then also we saw MTV um, Unplugged with Pearl Jam. And that, without a doubt, that – that sparked the whole thing. We were like, we got to start a band. So all of these different styles and sounds and whatever kind of came together, you know, Mark started listening to Bob Dylan and our guitar players listening to the cure. And I'm listening to, you know, more hip hop and, you know, stuff like that. So it was just kind of like, we all brought what we were like listening to in ways that we didn't even think about. Like we weren't, I wasn't going to say, Oh, I'm going to play this beat that I listened to on a, you know, tribe called quest album but i just that's just kind of stuff that that kind of came out and our guitar player just played these um super melodic riffs as opposed to shredding noodly guitar solos he was you know listening to how the cure did that you know so well you know and just that kind of stuff came out and so i think maybe our you know i don't know it was just we it's just like you know our kind of ignorance we didn't know we were just listening to all this different styles of music you know and somehow we made it kind of come together in a way where we could play a song that had a little bit of a country element and then it could be reggae and then it could be rock you know so 
We yeah, no, I, yeah, absolutely. You guys have, uh, again, a, an amazing following and amazing sounds, but I, you know, I will say that when the, uh, the compilation album first came out in some of the sublime groups, people were like, Oh wow. Kind of weird to see OAR on there. And I'm like, I guess you're not familiar with what their early stuff was because it was heavily reggae influenced and you can hear it and feel it. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, that's what drew me to sublime. I mean, it's like they were a band, you know, it, it was, it had elements of, of reggae and hip hop, but it also had, you know, punk and rock and ska and all of that stuff. And it just worked effortlessly. It just, you know, when, as soon as you heard the song start, it was immediately like recognizable, like that's sublime. And that for me is why they're like one of my favorite bands of all time. You could say that about, you know, Led Zeppelin. They start playing a song, you know, it's Led Zeppelin, you know, whether you like Red Hot Chili Peppers or not, there might be, they're one of my favorite bands of all time, but you just immediately recognize them. And that I think is what's worked so well for, for these bands, you know, um, it just, I don't know. I mean, I, I had 40 ounces to freedom on multiple copies of CDs. You had to have one in, you know, in your bedroom, <laughs> one out in your car and one in your backpack. Yeah. You know, it was just like, it's just the best. I wore out a, a cassette, the very first cassette tape of 40 ounce that I had totally wore that out, had to get another one. And then I think I went through two or three CDs of whether they were just getting played too much or, People mm-hmm. took them or gave them away or whatever, but that's definitely my my favorite album of theirs for sure. Was it was the sound kind of developed by all of the members of the band? Was it like a collaborative thing, or is there someone that's mainly responsible for the sound that you guys have? Yeah, so our singer Mark writes all of the lyrics and a huge majority of the music. Um, going back to the early days, there was a lot of stuff that came up from us, you know, playing together at band practices and practicing, you know, I mean, honestly, when we would book shows early on, they were parties, house parties or things like, you know, fraternity parties or wherever they were. So it wasn't like you were on, you know, at a venue and you had to hit the stage at 8 PM and be done at 10 PM. It was like, dude, you're playing this party for like four hours. (laughs) (laughs) So I think some of the jammy stuff, came out from us having to stretch out to fill oh, out that right. time a little bit. And, you know, as much as I love bands like fish and other bands in the jam band genre, we never let, you know, kind of went that way of that style of music, but we did go the way of stretching music out and still jamming um, in our version of it. And, and I, I think like, you know, just being able to, have the freedom to express what you want is super cool. And that gave us the, you know, kind of early stages of our, of our sound. But as we developed and grew up and wanted to become better songwriters and be better musicians and become a better, just overall band, we started looking at how we could tighten things up here and there. Um, And so at a certain point, our singer and, and a couple of the other guys for sure started looking into working with outside songwriters, which at first we were, you know, very standoffish. No one's going to make us sing and dance and this and that. And it was like, <laughs> right. 
it, that's not what it was at all. It was just like, you know, having eyes and ears of other people working on something to give you new direction and support and finding the best possible version and tying it together so it could be, you know, as good as it could be. And, um, you know, with our singer still writing all of the words, you know, it was, it, it felt way more natural. And so not all of the songs are written by uh, outside songwriters at all, but it's a, it, it's a huge part of what we do now as a way to push ourselves to grow and to kind of keep in a, a lot of ways, keep current. It's a way to find new, you know, a new audience, you know, as right. much as we love the the fan base that grew up with us, now they can bring their kids to the shows or older, you know, their parents to the show, everybody across the board. So I think it's been, it's been a, definitely a conscious decision to, to grow and get better as songwriters. And with that, it's kind of paying attention to what is, you know, current and that current might not be a pop song, but it might be like, well, where can we find an opportunity to reach, you know, new people? Right. And stay relevant, which I think is so important, especially when, I mean, it's been 25 years now, right? That you guys have been together. That's a long time. Thank you. Has it ever been difficult with so many, creative people coming together and, and trying to make it work after all this time? I mean, we've certainly each and all of us, you know, in the band have been in the hot seat for whatever that might be. Um, But we, we've learned to become very um, like open. And if we have an issue, like try to address it, you know, and I've told you how many shows together and how long we've been together. And, you know, we spend more time together in normal times than we do with our own family. And so we had to learn sure. how to communicate and how to separate that friendship from a business, like a talk, like, Hey man, right. you need to step up your game. You are slacking. You are not doing what we need. We, this is, you know, not the direction here. You know, you, we need to, you know, sit down and, and, and figure this out. And, and to be able to do that often and get better at it and realize that like we can have those conversations and then go right back to just watching stepbrothers together, you know, and dying <laughs> laughing that like that <laughs> makes it work and why we want to stay together and keep doing this together. <laughs> and that makes sense. It's, set. it's exactly what I was thinking about too, because we've got the drummer on here and it's the first thing I was thinking about was balls on a drum set. So right. I'm happy you went there. As well, Kelly. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 crazy. Now, um, it's. I think a lot of times bands get um, people think of a band and they're just like, oh, they automatically know. Um, you know, I like to watch these videos on YouTube where people discover they got younger people that are listening to music for the first time, and a lot of times when people are listening to Sublime, they think that it's going to be like. Like a like a corn or a godsmack or some sort of like crazy heavy metal, um, and you know I, I think that it's funny that you said that because you don't you know you don't try to be like Fish or or those types of bands, but I think OAR kind of has gotten into that jam band genre. Is that something that you feel negatively about? Are you happy? Are you okay with with being that, or is it just a complete misconception? No, I'm, I'm totally happy with it. And I've, you know, it's interesting the way, you know, you kind of put that it, it, cause I haven't quite heard that in a little while, but coming up, that was a big thing. This jam band OAR, um, which we never had an issue with, but what was kind of interesting, it was that it was 
the way it was written, the, the rest of the article or whatever would be about it, it was almost said as if it was a negative kind of connotation towards us. And so we kind of felt like, well, how do we distance ourselves from it? Because we're not a jam band. But then on the other side, it's like, well, we got nothing against jam bands. I'm not saying I don't want to be a jam band. But like, if you're calling me a jam band with a derogatory thing to it, it was like, well, that's not exactly true. Come out to a show and see what we do. Like we're, we're trying to give people the most positive experience they can have. We want you to come in and, and, and have, a, you know, basically a better time than you've, you know, you know, come in with a smile on your face and leave feeling even happier than when you walked in the door, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you, I, um, what year is this? So God, this had to be maybe 20 years ago now. Um, I moved to, to Buffalo, New York and, uh, a high school girlfriend of mine at the time was like a huge Goo Goo Dolls fan. And the Goo Goo Dolls are from Buffalo. And I'm like, Oh my God, these fucking poppy radio songs. I'm going to go sit through and listen to this bullshit, but I'll do what I have to do. I guess it was a birthday present. So I bought tickets and yeah, so like the songs that the Goo Goo Dolls play on the radio that they've made all their money on and they're super famous with, like that's not at all what no. that band is or what that sound is. I mean, no. these guys rocked the fuck out for like two hours. I was blown away. And the only songs I really didn't enjoy were the ones that they did and made millions of dollars on. So I understand why they did it because it allowed them to get to continue to tour and, and play the songs that you know, they want to play and the music that they want to play, but it was a huge eye-opening experience for me where I'm like, yeah, I, I get it. I know why they did those ballads because they, they made a bunch of money on them. But when they go out on tour, that is not the sound that they put out at all. Absolutely. 1000%. I remember being in probably junior high school. Like I was young. I mean, this is when I was young. I mean, maybe I was in high school. It was before I could drive. I remember getting somehow a tape of uh, probably four Goo Goo Doll songs um, sent to my house. And I don't know how or who or what sent it. I was probably, you know, remember those, the days of like signing up for like those record clubs, you know, Columbia something like that. Yeah, they're still looking for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it showed up and this was before they had had any of those, you know, songs that came out on radio. And I knew of the Goo Goo Dolls. And I remember feeling similar to like when they came out with their songs on the radio and being like, this isn't the Goo Goo Dolls I know. But then when you look into it and you listen to the rest of their CDs and, and you watch, you know, watch them live. I mean, it's 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 a whole di different thing. They can do both completely, you know, successfully. It was awesome. Um, and hey, Jared, one thing I think this reminds me of. Um, I just watched a documentary on the Bee Gees and what was so cool to find out is like, cause everybody, at least I think of as the Bee Gees as just like disco music and Saturday night fever and all that stuff. So much of their history is like rock band that I was blown away with how cool it sounded. I had no idea that that was so much of their history. So if yeah. you get a chance, uh, check it out. Yeah, I would love to. I'm any of those music documentaries. I just think it's so funny because actually at that exact same concert, um, Michelle Branch opened for them. 
And she had that real big song, A Thousand Miles, and it was, you know, in all the movies, and it was like on every little poppy radio station. And she kind of rocked out for the opening act. And you could see everybody was like kind of on the edge of their seat, like, all right, when are you going to play it? And uh, she, you know, pretended like she was done, and everybody's freaking out. And she walked over to the piano, and everybody knew when she got down in front of the piano that she was finally going to play her her big hit that you hear on Kiss 98. Five every five minutes and she goes into the first few chords on the piano and the place goes nuts 17,000 people are screaming at the top of her lungs and she stops and she leans into her microphone and she goes just so you guys know I hate this fucking song uh. and she goes right back <laughs> into it and making my way downtown and I'm just like <laughs> Yeah, I, because this song sounds nothing like the rest of the set you just did. But I guess when your record label says, hey, this song's going to make you a millionaire, you go and play it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's exactly what they said, but it, it's it's hard because you think that the label is telling the artist that, you know, and not to say that they haven't, but it's they're looking for a hit. It's a financial thing. How many units can they sell, you know? Um, and so it's, it's been a tough thing because sometimes that success is, uh, is great because it gives you the, all the opportunities in the world. Other times it's just going to kind of pigeonhole you now. And, you know, now you're always going to be known as that for the rest of whatever your career is. So it's a fine line to walk for sure. But one, I think from our side of you, we go, Hey, we want to be on a major label because we can't get some of these opportunities without being at that level. So how do we do it and maintain what it is that we do? And so I think by being able to put out songs on the radio that hopefully maybe get some some traction because they have that whatever it is, if it's, you know, leans towards um, a song that can fit in next to Michelle Branch's pop song, you know, then for us, it it allows us to do what we do, which is really what we do live on stage and write all these other songs just as much as this other one to really do our thing, or to continue to being able to do our thing. Sure. For the right price, you can pigeonhole the shit out of me. So um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, play, I'll play whatever song you want. But I think it's funny because you said, you know, everybody had a different musical style and, and kind of thing that they were listening to as you guys were coming up and you mentioned hip hop being yours. And then you also mentioned Genesis and um, that was like one of Tupac's all time favorite artists was oh. Phil Collins and Genesis. That's really? an fact. Tupac walked around with a Walkman actually when he was still living in Baltimore right. and, uh, and Phil Collins and Genesis, and he he says that like that changed his life. That was one of the albums that absolutely changed his life. Um, was uh, was when he was introduced to to Phil Collins and the Genesis. So you know that actually doesn't surprise me. I mean, because he is everything that he did was so musical. Oh, absolutely. His flow, his range, his everything was so musical. That, and, and wasn't his history, didn't he come up going to like a music and like theater kind of school? Yeah, he went to a, uh, he went to a performing arts school performing in, uh, in, in Baltimore, I believe. And then again, when he moved into, into California. But yeah, his, uh, his mom was incredibly smart. And, you know, it was, there was no doubt. 
I mean, I'm sure the story's been told and you guys may or may not know, but um, Tupac's mom was on trial for murder while she was pregnant with Tupac. She was going to have the baby in jail. She defended herself and was acquitted. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah, she was, she was like seven months pregnant, uh, Tupac's mom and stepdad, who was really kind of like his dad, fatherly influence were very deep into the, uh, into the Panthers. And, um, she was facing, she was facing life in prison and she, she defended herself and was acquitted like six weeks before Tupac was born. Wow. That's pretty bad. So, yeah, so pretty pretty smart guy, and you know was open to a, a lot of things. But yeah, it was just funny to hear that because you're like, yeah, you know, I was real into into hip hop, but then also Genesis, and it just I remembered that that was like that was with Tupac like credits Phil Collins and and the band Genesis with like a lot of his musical background. That's so cool, man! I had never heard that before. Chris, how did you start playing drums? My dad was a drummer, oh. and. Uh, we had a drum set in the basement and he kind of got me started. Um, I didn't take lessons early on, but he just showed me, you know, kind of, you know, how to play some beats and just how to, you know, I think it was more than anything just to kind of get me excited about it, just to have fun playing. Right. And if it turned into something, then he would help kind of push me in whatever direction that ended up being, whether it was, you know, um, later on in school, joining like the school band and the marching band yeah. and stuff like that. But for more than anything else, I mean, it was just, I had a drum set in the basement so I could kind of play the drums <laughs> and our singer, he had started acting and singing in plays so he could sing. So when we wanted to, we saw Pearl Jam on Unplugged, we were like, we're going to start a band. Well, I was like, I'm the drummer. He's the singer. So we had to ask around <laughs> school, find another guitar player. And, and, and from the, you know, day one, it was just all about being in a band, yeah. you know? And I wish that I had focused on the, you know, the drumming, the music, you know, the studying that side of things a little bit more early on, but I connected with it later on in life, which was, has been awesome. And, um, a whole other kind of path to go down. It's been really neat. Yeah. Um, and so now I, I'm at a point where, um, you know, practicing and teaching drums has become a, you know, a pretty big part of my life too. So it's been really? pretty cool to see that side of, of things come together where before it was just like, I had all the opportunities in the world. I had great music teachers, you know, I was in marching band, all this kind of stuff. And I just never was able to translate that stuff to the drum set or what I was doing in the rock band when it was right there in front of me. I just, I didn't, I just, unfortunately just didn't care. We were just having too much fun being in a band and that's what my focus was. So it's all good, you know, but yeah, it's not such a bad thing. I mean, you know, you pursued it because you're passionate about it and then it led to an opportunity to kind of get deeper into it. I think that's a, that's a good way to go. Yeah. yeah it so kind you, of worked out for you too. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it, you, you kind of, you know, you, you made it work out a little bit. I got to ask, you guys started so young, Chris, and this is something that I like to ask a lot of musicians that come on because I, I just find it interesting. You guys started out practicing in mom's basement. We're going to make a band. We saw Pearl Jam on MTV to now, obviously you guys have this incredible following you've toured all over the world. What, what was the moment? Was there a moment when you realized like, Oh shit, we, we made it. I mean, was it when your first CD came out? First time you heard a song on the radio being on stage at a venue. Did you ever have that? Like, aha, like I'm here. We've arrived. I don't think, I mean, that's such a cool question. I wish I had like, yeah, this is the moment, but I think it's more from our side of things. It was more like, I can see where this is going. If we work hard, 
like it's not unrealistic to think we can play that fucking venue at you know like when we got to ohio state and could barely get gigs but there was like a huge venue on on campus called um newport music hall and we were like we're gonna play there man by the time we graduated we were you know playing it every other month you know and selling it out and that kind of stuff it was these small goals that we knew we could set if we worked hard and that kind of stuff and so again i mean it's like you know we have had some huge moments but even coming off of the stage at uh madison square garden it wasn't like oh yeah dude we've made it let's let's cruise. Let's just coast on this. Cause we're good now. It was every time you get to one of these points, it's kind of like you, it, you're, I feel like we're ambitious. It's like, well, what next? Like, what do we do to not, we don't want to just maintain, like we're it's constantly working to grow the band. So, um, I don't know. Does that make any sense? I wish I had like, you know, that moment of whatever, because that would be super cool if we ever had a, you know, documentary made about us. But it's more like these little goals that we set along the way that we know we can achieve. Where if you're looking back, you're like, damn, you guys thought you could do that? Like, who the hell do you think you are? But hey, you know, I, I feel like we know that like we've got an awesome, you know, audience. We know where we're going music wise. We can see what's like on the whiteboard, so to speak, you know, and we set these goals. Yeah. So, yeah. Works, works for me. You mentioned the changes um, of having, you know, families and all that kind of stuff, obviously, as you guys get older, are you married kids? Yes, I am. I'm married and I have a four year old daughter. And Congratulations. How exciting. Thank you. It's, it's been an, you know, for all the craziness over the last, you know, year, it's been as, you know, a, a lot of friends and everyone, you know, I know are, are all saying similar, just the silver lining is spending so much time at home with your family. And when would I have ever had a year at home with her, especially right. at this age, we were just having so much fun because, you know, she was just like a baby. And then throughout the pandemic, you know, now it's like things are opening up and now I've got her at taking her gymnastics one day and swim lessons and dance and <laughs> soccer. And then it's just like, what happened? Like, it's so funny. And, um, you know, on the other side, it's like, she knows that I'm in a band, but I don't know if she really gets what, what that means. Like when I go on the road, because right. right now it's all like, she, like she just thinks I'm her butler. I just, I drive her where she needs to go. I get her food. She thinks. Mommy too. Mommy too. You know, it's like, I'm a, I'm a 24 hour concierge. And when I get back on the road soon, her little world's going to be shattered. Yes. <laughs> it's funny, nice. Chris. I, I could just add you to the list of the other 35 guests that have come on. I've been like, the pandemic's been great. I've got to spend all this time at home with my kids. And I'm just like, another liar. Check them off the list. <laughs> Full of shit. I mean, I know it was fun, like, you know, 35% of the time, but I know what that other 65% was like. I got three kids, so. <laughs> I do think it's nice that it's caused us all to slow down a bit. And, you know, especially touring musicians like you, having to spend that time at home, I would imagine, has been a big adjustment for you, but also a huge blessing because you do get that time. Yes, it, it's been both. It's, it's just been crazy. Um, but, you know, I think one thing that the and everyone in the band is married and and has kids as well. And I think a, a, a thing that we've all been on the same page about for a few years, at least, if not, you know, for many, many years is, is finding out how to balance work and life at home. Because, you know, when things are good at home, 
you know, we can do what we do on the road and when things, you know, vice versa, it has right. to, it has to work out that way. And, and we also we have to remember that we're friends first and foremost. And so if somebody's going through something, um, you, you gotta have their back because next time it's going to be you and you're going to want them to have your back. And they do, you know, I've, there's been countless times where these things have, have popped up and we've been able to get through it where we think of it more as a family than, you know, a band and, um, you know, um, just being able to, uh, have like on the calendar, some shows where I get to start seeing these guys again. I mean, I'm just mm. I'm very emotional, you know, I mean, yeah. I haven't, I haven't gotten to see any of them since, you know, the whole world shut down. I think there was like one or two things we've done, but wow. you know, so that's a big shift after the last 25 years. It is. I mean, you know, so much of our identity is just, you know, being in a yeah. band and being on the road and getting to, to, to do this and, you know, to not have that has been like, oh, wow. Okay. Well, what can we focus on? And, and I think there's been, you know, the family and writing new music and focusing on the future has kind of kept us, you know, all, us all together. Insane. That's awesome. Well, honestly, after talking with you, it's easy to see why you guys have had the success you've had, you know, reading about it is one thing. And, you know, you guys have worked hard, you made it happen, touring, all that kind of stuff. But um, it sounds like you guys really have, have your shit together too, which is, is very impressive. And, and it's obvious why, why you guys are doing so well. Well, appreciate it. Thank you. It's total work in progress, but we're, we're, we're trying hard. Absolutely. And you know, really that's all the best that we can all do, you know, is just work hard and, and try to be in the moment and, you know, treat others with respect. And that's kind of everything that, that I'm getting from you. So I think that's fabulous. Well, thank you so much for being on the show with us. As I said at the beginning, it's been a real treat for us. We were looking forward to it. And, you know, just to, to really sort of get a little bit outside of the typical genre that, that we are usually, you know, the artists that we're usually talking to. And, and of course, to make Jarrett feel better having someone over on the East Coast. <laughs> but, um, you know, you guys have, have become very prolific. And not only do we really appreciate you being a part of the house that Bradley built, but also coming on the show and, and spent, spending some time with us. So thank you so much. Thank you to your wife and daughter for letting us borrow you for a little bit. And oh, you guys uh, are the best. Thank you so much for, for having us and including us. And, and if there's anything we can ever do to continue to support uh, the foundation and everything, we, we, we'd be honored to. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. Thank you so much, man. Take care, guys. I had a blast. All right. Hey, before you go, can we have you do a quick stinger? Just, you know, this is Chris Kulos of OAR, and you're listening to Bradley's House Podcast, or however you want to say it. Sure. Bradley's House Podcast? Yes. Sure. Hey, this is Chris Coolis from OAR, and you're listening to Bradley's House Podcast. Perfect. Wow, that that was money, man. You, you got a future. <laughs> I was getting ready to do it like 15 different ways. I was going to do the hero version. I was going to go the whole thing. Okay. Listen, if you're ever if you're ever questioning this music thing, you got a future in podcasts, man. I'm telling you right now. I don't know. I just thought I'd throw that out there to you. So are you, are you still, do you still live in Maryland? Are you still in the, on the East coast? No, I'm in Nashville now. I've still got family in Maryland. We all kind of came up from Maryland and our parents are still back there, but basically everyone met wives and settled down in different cities. And I, wow. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, man, I, uh, I appreciate this. This was awesome. I've, uh, I've been a huge fan. So I think it's really cool to have an opportunity to chat with you. 
Oh, man. Again, I appreciate it so much. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Chris. Have a great night. Well, Kelly, once again, another amazing episode. Chris was a lot of fun to chat to. I'm a huge OAR fan, so it was really cool to have him on and kind of hear some of the background of how they got started and all the cool stuff that they've been doing since then. Absolutely. In fact, one of the coolest things I think for me with this whole The House That Bradley Built album is that it's allowed me to dive in deeper to some of the music of these artists that I really wasn't as familiar with. And honestly, OAR is one of them. I'd heard of them. I knew about them, but I'd never really dived into their music and I'm really, really enjoying it. So hopefully our listeners will as well. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, there's no debating here that I I sound a little different right now than I did (laughs) Um, in the in the interview here, and uh, with our crazy schedule and a bunch of things that are going on, we went ahead and got a few interviews in the can. Um, so we did record with Chris um, uh, uh, about a week ago or maybe two weeks ago at this point, um, and we're doing our closing now. And we just got back from the Reggae Rise Up Festival in Las Vegas. Now, guys, we have a special Reggae Rise Up episode coming your way. So. We're going to talk a lot more about that. Um, it was really an awesome time. It was the first time that uh, Anna and I actually got to meet Kelly in real life. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. And uh, <laughs> so it's just going to Which be. Which I feel uh, like you should explain to people because most people think that we have like Sunday brunch every week. Right, right. And which, you know what? I would love to. That would be awesome. But, <laughs> I wish we uh, did. Yeah. But you're on I'm, the other side of the country and Anna's in a completely different country. Yeah, so it, it makes it a little <laughs> difficult for those it for does. those Sunday it's brunches. A challenge. Yeah, um, but uh, I think we're, we're going to have some awesome stories. We're going to talk to a few of the artists that performed at Reggae Rise Up. They're going to tell us a little bit about their experience. We're going to talk a little bit about ours, and there's probably a few other fun Vegas stories to get in the mix there. So uh, get ready for that, guys. And Kelly, as everybody's listening to this now, everything's been all closed out, and stuff is starting to get sent out from that amazing auction. Kelly, you did a really amazing job getting that set up for the foundation. I don't think people understand how hard you're actually working behind the scenes. And yes, there is an awesome board for the Knoll Family Foundation, um, but you are really the driving force behind it. And I know how much you put into that. And it was an amazing auction. I, you were given some of the stats while we were in Vegas. I got, there was just a, an absurd amount of bids and uh, really raised some great money for the Knoll Family Foundation, right? You're absolutely right, Jared. And honestly, I can't take all the credit for it. One of our board members, Brindy Pepper, has just, she's always an amazing help for me, whether it's the events or the auction or whatever it is that we do. I honestly couldn't do it without her, but we did. We put in a lot of work with this auction but we couldn't have done anything if it weren't for all of the amazing donors. And honestly, like whether it was Merge 4 with the socks or Kala Music Company with the ukuleles, um, Koi CBD that sent us just a ton of amazing merch, Cali Roots that donated a couple of four-day passes and some merch packs. I mean, honestly, I was blown away with all of the stuff that we received. 311 sent some signed posters and uh, Revolution. There was just so much. And um, honestly, it was our first, it was our first, uh, auction and I wasn't really sure how it was going to go and it turned out really great. And so I'm super thankful to all the donors and incredibly grateful to all of the people that bid. And we were able to raise almost $13,000, which was really incredible. And of course we couldn't have done it without positive legacy that created the website for us and managed the whole auction site and our great friends at louder than digital 
who do this amazing marketing and connect us all. So I feel really, really grateful that we have so many wonderful people on our team and helping out and supporting the foundation. So a big thank you to everybody for making this first auction a huge success. And hopefully it'll become something that we do at least once a year, if not more often. Yeah, I, I messaged you the day after the auction ended and I was like having a little bit of separation anxiety. I said, <laughs> I, I miss I miss going on and, and watching all of the bids go up and seeing everybody that was getting involved and just getting some uh, some awesome different kind of merch packs and whatever it was, but knowing that it was all going directly to the Knoll Family Foundation to get Bradley's house up and running and uh, the support has just been amazing. Now um, talking about support for Bradley's house and the Knoll family foundation as well. Um, starting this week, Kelly, um, our friends over at Savage CBD, who by the way, saved us. You guys can check. I'm going to share some pictures, um, because I had some of those lotions right out at the table. Um, oh, so I can use stuff. them while we were out there at reggae. Yes. Those festivals are long days. And, uh, and Savage CBD really was a huge help for us. And I was talking to them and they said, you know what? You got this, uh, this reggae rise up episode coming up and we really want to continue to show support and we want to be able to help everybody out. They said, so why don't you go ahead and take that code? Now guys, in the beginning of the episode, you heard me say, go ahead and use code Brad 20 and save 20% off your purchase. Well, they want you to go ahead and use Brad 30 and save 30% off of your first purchase from Savage CBD. So awesome. Yeah, so they've been a, a huge supporter for the Knoll Family Foundation and, uh, of course, giving back by uh, by supporting us and now giving back to you guys by giving you guys 30% off for checking out Savage CBD. So make sure you check out our sponsors. Anna's going to make sure that there's a link in the uh, description. You just click right down there and you'll see it. And, uh, I love and the sound effect. <laughs> yeah, well, because that's where it is, right? It's right, right click, there underneath. Right. Yeah. So, but it was uh, so nice of Savage. Like, not only do they sponsor the, the episodes, but they were kind enough to send a bunch of product, which, as you mentioned, we took with us. We had their lotion, the balm, the roll-on, like all these different things. And, you know, I'm, I'm not young anymore. Everything starts to hurt after a while. And these these music festivals, I love them and I love meeting everybody. And, and I super love standing on my feet for 15 hours a day, but it takes a toll. And so I so appreciate having these incredible products to be able to use. And they really do make a difference. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it if it wasn't true, but they're really, really great products. So thank you so much to, to Savage CBD. Yeah, absolutely. So guys, make sure you check them out. And now you're using code BRAD, B-R-A-D, 330, and it'll save you 30% off of your purchase. Um, so Kelly, like we do every single week, we always have an amazing song to play out. And it's usually a great song off of the compilation album, The House That Bradley Built. Guys, that is still available at law-records.com. Uh, we got to see our friends uh, from Law Records. They were actually right up behind us at, at Reggae Rise Up. Yes. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, so make sure you're checking them out. The support from Law Records was absolutely incredible. Um, especially even at Reggae Rise Up, people were going over there. They were buying the album, and then they were sending them over to come and see us. And uh, it was it, <laughs> we were sending everybody back over there to buy the album. <laughs> it yeah, it was. Great. You know, 
and I don't want to share too much because I want to make sure that we have yeah. it all in our reggae rise up episode. But uh, I was over there at one point and uh, Waverly, the, the young lady that was running the booth for them told me that somebody just walked up and bought five copies. Oh. Um, so yeah, it's uh, so great. Yeah. So if you guys haven't yet, go ahead and get the album from law-records.com. Now, guys, I know these songs are available on YouTube for you to listen to, and I totally get it. But remember, purchasing the album gives you something cool to have, and it also helps support the Knoll Family Foundation. And of course, there are other ways. You can visit thenollfamilyfoundation.org, and you can make a donation from there. You can read a little bit more about what's going on and check out some of the merch that's available. And of course, Anna is going to include a uh, link for the uh, link tree, and it's going to be right down there in the description. So just go ahead and <laughs> click on that, and that will get you to uh, all of the information from the Knoll Family Foundation, uh, Venmos, Cash Apps. Guys, if it's a buck, if you're like, hey, you know what? I got a buck sitting in my Cash App. Shoot it over. It goes a long way, uh, and it means so much to getting us closer to where we need to be. Um, Kelly. I know the support has uh, has really been overwhelming. I get to watch you in action a little bit and, and see uh, the people that come up. And you know, the Noel Family Foundation and Bradley's house is really starting to make its way around. And that's because of our supporters. Not, yes. only, are they, not only are they supporting, but they're telling people. And mm. that means so much in, in this mission. And uh, it was really cool to get to meet so many of them out in, in Las Vegas. Absolutely. It was an amazing weekend and it was super overwhelming to see how many people um, had already heard about the foundation and were already supporters, but were coming by to say hi, get a hug, remind us of how much they support it. And, you know, as I always say, it's, we can't do it alone. It's something we all do together and we're all a part of this next phase of my brother's legacy. And so we appreciate everybody for being a part of it. Yeah, it's uh, it's awesome. So, uh, guys, make sure you are subscribed wherever you're listening to this. Go ahead and leave a comment. Kelly and I see them all. Um, a five-star review, if uh, you would be so kind. Uh, it means a lot to us and then to continue to build for sponsorships and different things. So uh, the support goes a long way. Kelly, I asked thousands and thousands of people this weekend, what's your favorite Sublime song? And... Uh, <laughs> The answer, the answer came up a lot and it yeah. was, uh, it was bad fish. Yeah. So it works out perfectly that with having Chris on this week, we get to go ahead and play from the house that Bradley built compilation CD bad fish by OAR. Hope you guys love it. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Jared Orr. she's Kelly Noel. We are out of time. You don't have to go home, but it's time to leave Bradley's house. Fish too. Oh, you're a bad fish too.
Time. 